Pulse. You're now locked in to HBCU Pulse. We're the number one outlet for HBCU life, talking about everything that's important to our culture, from on-campus issues to politics and what's trending on the yard. We always keep that same energy. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to HBCU Pulse Radio. What's going on, everybody? This is Randall Barnes, the founder of HBCU Pulse and the host of HBCU Pulse Radio in the building for another special edition of the show on today. Well, we're going to do something a little bit different that's actually very different from what you've been hearing from HBCU Pulse Radio over these past few months and even the start of the year. I actually have an interview that we're going to play on today with a TV superstar. In the building, Texas Southern alumni, Nicole Mimi Hayes from the legendary reality TV series, Big Brother. She was on season 25. She was a fan favorite. People were talking about her. She was repping Texas Southern all in the house. Listen, got the opportunity to speak with her. This young woman, 90s baby, just like me, she is deep. She has a lot of knowledge in politics, so much time working on Capitol Hill with some amazing political leaders, writing speeches. That really mystified me. Writing speeches for political leaders at such a young age, right out of Texas Southern. Then she transitioned into Big Brother and she's doing so many amazing things. So for the duration of this episode, you're gonna be hearing my conversation with Nicole Mimi Hayes or to see the video, cause I had a fresh haircut, all right? You can go over to YouTube and check that out. But coming up is my interview with Nicole Mimi Hayes, Texas Southern University alumna, political consultant, and also a star on season 25 of Big Brother. You're listening to HBCU Pulse Radio. From the shade room to your news feed, we brag different. You're locked into HBCU Pulse, now trending worldwide. What's going on, everybody? This is Randall Barnes, the founder of HBCU Pulse and the host of HBCU Pulse Radio in the building for, listen, a special interview on today. My first interview in months because, listen, I don't interview everybody, all right? But when I do, I interview TV stars. I interview folks from Big Brother. We got McCall Mimi Hayes in the building, Texas Southern alumni. Listen, political consultant. There's a lot of political consultant that need to go on in 2024. All right. So we got her in the building. Mimi, how you doing today? I'm doing good, Randall. How are you? Listen, I'm amazing, excited to talk to you. Listen, I, 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 done, I done stepped out in some Nike. I got my hair cut. I'm ready for this interview, Mimi. Got the red red Nike tech on. I see you. I see. <laughs> Listen, got to step out. That's what we do at HBCUs. Like you're a Texas Southern alumni. So you know the vibes. You know the drip, don't you? I, I know you got to get fresh. When it's time to go to the yard, when you pop on the yard, it's, it's homecoming season. You know, I got to jump fresh. So I already know. I feel you. I, I like the vibes. Listen, that's all we do here with HBCU Pulse Radio and HBCUs in general. And I want to say first and foremost, congratulations to you for your success. Like 90s babies out here running it, making it happen. We taking over. So I want us just to start off with that. Like, tell us a little bit about who you are. Yeah. So uh, I'm Miko, but everybody calls me Mimi. Uh, if you watch reality television, reality competition shows at all, you probably see me on the current season of Big Brother. Um, but I'm born and raised from St. in St. Louis, Missouri. I'm an only child. 
uh, graduated high school at 16 years old, went off to Texas Southern University where I pursued my bachelor's degree in journalism and speech communications. I graduated at 20 years old with said degree. Uh, then I made my way to Washington, D.C. And by 22, I was one of the youngest people in the country working as a legislative assistant, actually analyzing and drafting federal policy, uh, primary, primarily in the K through 12 education space. So, uh, yeah. And and now I'm here with a little career shift. But, you know, we still on go mode. So, <laughs> Hey, listen, definitely on go. Like you've been moving like and we love to see the mobility. We love to see the career growth, but it all starts at your HBCU, Texas Southern. So tell us what made you choose Texas Southern as your HBCU. You know, what's interesting about that is that growing up in St. Louis, I grew up in a low income community and primarily through elementary and middle school. That was predominantly the school, the school system that I would uh, that I would learn in. And so my mom decided to make a transition in high school. And at the end of my my high school career, I was like, I want to surround myself with people who look like me and who have similar upbringings as me and who are also just as passionate uh, about education and, and, you know, creating a beautiful life for themselves. And so I applied to Texas Southern. I was a young, smart, nerdy kid, really no idea what I wanted to do with my life or my career, but I knew that I loved to write and I knew that I loved storytelling. And so uh, I decided to go to Texas Southern and literally all of my dreams started to materialize on the campus of Texas Southern. And I owe a lot of who I am today to the experiences, the culmination of experiences uh, that I had in my time at TSU. I love it. Listen, here's one thing I found out when it comes to this media industry and professional world. When you want to know about somebody, you go to LinkedIn. Or I went to your LinkedIn and you were like that at Texas Southern. Like I was like, yo, she brought 40% readership to, to, to the Texas Southern School newspaper. I was like, that's right. Yeah. So, you know, my freshman year, I, I come on campus and immediately I look for the newspaper room. I work for the newspaper in the yearbook in high school. And so I knew I wanted to continue that experience. I look for the newspaper room. I find it and they let me on staff. I remember one of the first stories that I covered was Kanye West had just released Donda, his his fashion wear line that was inspired by his mom. That was one of the first stories that I wrote uh, for the TSU Herald. And then that second year I go into it and now I am the assistant um, associate um, creative director for the newspaper. And then my junior year, I become editor in chief. And now it's time to usher in a new generation of readers, right? Because print journalism is a, is a dying profession. And so how do we take this digital? How do we get this in the hands of more students? How do we get more eyes on this? And so that's exactly what we did. And we were able to increase readership by 40%. And I was the first student in the history of the university to serve two terms as editor-in-chief. And uh, yeah, that's kind of where I jump-started my career. I love to talk. I love to run my mouth. And I'll start on a campus at TSU. <laughs> I love it. So you started as a freshman. You walked into that newsroom. It was like, hey, this is what I want to do. So like, what else did you do your, your, your freshman year? Were you engaged? Were you involved? Were you nervous to be at college? Like, how was that freshman year? It was an interesting interesting slash weird experience because I'm also an only child, but I come here with my childhood best friend. And so it's a culture shock to me because I grew up in the Midwest. I'm originally from St. Louis. So moving down to Texas, I'm a small little petite woman. I'm five. I'm five foot three with 112 pounds, 115 pounds. I go here and everybody is stallions. So I'm looking around like, okay, let's 
how can I get in where I fit in? So outside of joining the newspaper, I also joined uh, NAACP, the NAACP chapter at Texas Southern University. It actually had the opportunity to really um, engage with voters in the Houston community by volunteering on Barack Obama's reelection campaign in 2012. So, you know, just going in there my freshman year, not really knowing what to make of it. I'm a first generation college graduate. No one in my family had gone to college before. So there was really no blueprint that I had to to go off of. I just wanted to be around people who understood me and accepted me and, you know, could could help usher in this this new life that I was trying to build. And, you know, I was able to find my people. So sophomore year, so sophomore year is when things, you know, you start, it just starts to take shape. And a lot of folks say freshman year is their best year, but sophomore year is when movement really happens. So what was sophomore year like for you? Sophomore year is when I think you start to be a little more comfortable. When you come on campus as a freshman, you're still trying to find your way, right? You are a small fish in a big pond. It's a lot of big players on campus, a lot of big names. You know, you got the Miss TSUs and the, you know, so all of these things can be intimidating as a freshman coming in. But sophomore year, you start to find your footing. And again, now I have the opportunity to be creative director of the newspaper. I'm more vocal. I'm starting to find my voice more. I feel more confident in my writing and my storytelling uh, as a, as a, you know, uh, aspiring professional. And, you know, I also discovered Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. You know, I, I seek them out and I see what the Reds are doing on campus. They look fabulous. They're intelligent. They have the highest GPAs. And, you know, so uh, combining that with my passion for writing and my desire to actually want to be a part of this fabulous uh, organization that is a history of doing so many amazing things in the community. That is those two things really fuel my sophomore year. So junior year, all right, you got all that going. You're coming into junior year because junior is my favorite year of my college career, right? So junior year, you're going in with a lot of steam. You're making things happen. So you're a Delta, and then you got you got the editor, the, you, you, you editor of the school newspaper. So tell us about in totality, like what that year was like. You know, going into that third year, now I'm feeling like I'm that girl, right? Like I just crossed Delta, <laughs> or I'm crossing Delta. I'm crossing Delta in the spring of that year. I'm online for Delta. I'm editor-in-chief of the newspaper. I do something called Meet the Press, which is an event that we host on campus that really allows uh, the writers on our staff to really engage with the school community. So we interview the president of the school. We interview the chancellor of the school. We interview some other heavy hitters on campus, like the SGA pre president, to really move dialogue and conversation in a way that helps the student body really understand what all of these roles and all of these positions mean and how you know the work that they do impacts what it is that the students are or are not able to do on a daily basis. And, you know, just going into, you know, your your junior year, knowing that you're about to graduate, now you're starting to look for internships. Now you're starting to really, uh, you know, dive into what the next steps of your life are gonna be and what your career is gonna wanna look like. And so that's what I really started to focus on my junior year. Listen, that is a dope idea. Because don't get me started talking about how student media needs to be more student media on campus and cover that political side. Because I always talk about how the HBC political scene, SGA, Rural Court, it mirrors real life in such an amazing way. But I think that student media on campus, especially our fellow MASCOM majors and graduates, like they got to actually lead that charge to tell the story. So tell me more about Meet the Press. So that was your idea. Like, how did that go over? Like, did, did it did it did it impact change on campus? It did. You know, it was an idea that that I materialized and I sat down and I talked to my staff and I said, hey, 
every time I talk to students or we're talking to folks in the student body, they understand a little bit about what's happening on campus, but they don't really understand who's making the decisions. And, you know, when you're on a campus as big as Texas Southern, where you have more than 2,000 students that stay on campus and a little over five to 7,000 students who live off of campus, you have about 10,000 students within this sphere who are being impacted on a day-to-day basis by decisions from individuals who they don't really know. And so Meet the Press gave the students the opportunity to hear dialogue that was being exchanged between not just the TSU Herald staff and some of the school leaders and, uh, you know, professionals on campus, but it also gave the student body the opportunity to come out and ask some of these questions as well. So having students in the audience asking questions to the president, asking questions to the chancellor, asking questions to the SGA president, getting some answers to the most pressing questions that they have, and even honestly just sharing some of their grievances, quite frankly, was I think a very liberating experience. And we were able to do it twice. We did it my senior, my junior year and also my senior year. Uh, and I know that it was something that the students enjoy and we really enjoy having the opportunity to facilitate those conversations as a staff as well listen like you are making it happen like it seems like politics was always going to be there because you got the the obama campaign working his re-election campaign which in my mind when i was in high school around that time i was like he gonna win like like why, why people act like he not gonna win and then it's because of you it seemed like it's like you got him in there all right and then from from that from the other side you're doing meet the press on campus. I feel like you do meet the press in real life because they need to fix meet the press on NBC. All right. So we need to buy, put you in there. Now you just said something. You know, the most interesting thing about that, having worked in politics now for more than a decade, growing up, politics wasn't really discussed in my house that often. Like I probably couldn't have told you back then whether or not my mom was a Republican or a Democrat or independent or you know, which party she, uh, you know, subscribed to or, you know, what her political interests were, because it just isn't something I think growing up, especially in the 90s and the early 2000s, something that was discussed by our parents. I think we knew, uh, you know, we knew George Bush and we knew about uh, Bill Clinton, but we didn't really understand what it was that they did. And so when I worked on the Obama campaign and volunteered on the Obama campaign, rather during college, this really opened my eyes because I got to understand the issues and not just understanding the issues, but how those issues impact me. And then once I graduated and I come to Capitol Hill and I look around and there aren't many people that look like me, there aren't many voices like mine that are sitting at this table. Now I have my in. I serve as a voice for the voiceless. I serve as a voice for the communities that are oftentimes over underserved and overlooked. And that's my superpower in the political space. And my hope for 2024 is that all millennials, Gen Zs, and whomever really get the opportunity to learn about the issues that are at stake for this upcoming election year and how they could choose candidates that best fit uh, their communities and, and are really working to serve their communities and give back in a way that's tangible and progressive. I love that. And that's true. And you said something very key. You said a voice of the voiceless. And essentially, that's what media is supposed to be. We're supposed to be highlighting issues. We're supposed to be holding power to account. And we're supposed to be spotlighting what's going on in our communities. And we learn that in our MassCom programs. And as a senior, I know for me as a senior, I'm ready to go out and make my change in the world, to make my media money, make things happen. So what was senior year like for you? 
you know, senior year now I am editor in chief and I'm full blown with the internships. I have an opportunity to work with uh, a mass media personality. Now she's out in DC or I'm sorry, out in LA doing her thing. Her name is Ashley Dunn. I had the opportunity to work and learn under Ashley Dunn, who is another soror and a, a wonderful and fabulous multimedia personality who's been doing some amazing things in Hollywood and just got the opportunity to visit a lot of the local Houston news stations, see firsthand how those professionals, on-air professionals operate. You know, they have some very early call times. They're up at two, three, four o'clock in the morning and hair and makeup and wardrobe ready to get out here and share the news. And they're very diligent in the work it is that they do. And it, that was very inspiring for me as, you know, a aspiring journalist, someone who who wanted to have a career uh, in mass media seeing how hard they worked, seeing how dedicated they were. If I thought I was tired as a college student, if I thought being a Delta, being editor and going to class and, you know, having a little boyfriend or whatever, if I thought that was stressful, I'm like, oh, that is nothing compared to the work that they put in every single day just to have the opportunity to feed themselves and their family. So, you know, being exposed to that really put fire under me. I love that. And the fact that you're a mass comm major, it feels like family right now. Cause of course you can tell I'm, I'm a mass com, a mass com graduate, you know, you can tell, but like the thing that often happens in this media space is that the media industry, we're not, it's not like we're doctors, right? Like doctors, you got to go to the school. You have to get these different degrees. You have to really go through a rigorous election, a rigorous educational journey to become a doctor. Same thing as a lawyer. You got to, you got to take, you know, the LSAT, different things like that. But to be in media, you really can just get your bachelor's and then go out and work in the field. You can get a postgraduate degree, but it's all about the work you're producing and the skills that you have. So because of that, what I've seen is that a lot of folks want to get in the industry and they become successful because the barrier of entry is low. So as someone that's worked on that political side, it has that media background. And also you were on a TV show in Big Brother. Like, what do you think about that? Because a lot of folks think that they media, but they didn't go through the things that you went through being an editor. They didn't do meet the press at Texas Southern, but they think they're doing media stuff. So like, what do you think about that low barrier of entry to get in media and folks saying, well, I can do what you can do. Like, what do you think about that? You know, what I say for me, I think that what we learn in our math comm studies is that integrity in journalism is the number one priority that you can have. And I think that if you are an individual who is spreading false information or misrepresenting or mis uh, you know, misinforming the public, then I don't think that it's fair to call yourself uh, a, a journalist or a media personality. I think that you may be many things, but, you know, a professional, you know, maybe that's a little debatable. But for me, I think that if you create a platform, whether or not you have paid your dues in media or not, if you create a platform that is inspiring people, that is truthful in the way that you communicate the information that it is that you're sharing and that is rooted in integrity, then I don't think that there's anything wrong with it. I think of the beauty of of social media in today's age is that you can become a superstar overnight, right? Like you can, uh, you know, parody some something that's happening in the world and make it funny and make it educational. And that can get millions of views. Again, as long as you're not spreading misinformation, I don't think that it's harmful. But I do think that in the day and age of AI and some of these other technological advances that kind of give you a cheat code into, you know, uh, media and writing scripts and so on and so forth, Honestly, 
for me, I just feel like you kind of got to get it out the mud. Like you can type a prompt up in AI and submit that to, uh, you know, a website or a, a publication and get it published. But it's nothing like taking your words and manipulating the human language to tell a story that is impactful and inspiring. It's nothing like that. So, you know, nothing like that at all, because like one thing about writing and media is that it's your experience, like it's your voice. And that's something that AI can't really like take over and can't really encapsulate is the experience. So let's talk about how your experience really shaped your time, what you're doing now, what you what you've done politically, what you're doing in other avenues. Like how did Texas Southern help you become the professional that you are today? So all of the culmination of experiences that I've shared earlier really helped to prepare me to get ready to come to Washington, D.C. and work on Capitol Hill. I actually got a call from someone who was in the SGA at the time that I was at Texas Southern. I was living in Atlanta at the time trying to get a job at CNN. I didn't get a call back from them. And they say, hey, you know, I I've heard of this uh, internship program in Washington, D.C. It's called the Congressional Black Caucus Foundation. They'll fly you into D.C. They'll house you, they'll give you a stipend, and they'll place you in an office on Capitol Hill where you get to do some political communications work. All we need you to do is to show up and be you and shine bright. And that's what I did. That's how I got my start on Capitol Hill is from, you know, phoning a friend, having one of my my former, uh, you know, colleagues and classmates reach out to me and present this opportunity to me. And I spent a semester on Capitol Hill. I was writing speeches for members of Congress. I was doing all of these amazing, cool things in communications and political communications. And it was a soror of mine who was working in the office who said that I think that you would be really good at this work. I see this job opening. I think that you should apply for it. And yeah, I spent five years working for a member of Congress in the U.S. Uh, House of Representatives, and it was hands down one of the best experiences of my life. So that's interesting. You were writing speeches. Are you writing speeches? Yeah, yeah. You know, I told you, listen, if you can master the English language and master the art of storytelling, your career and in, in job prospects will be unlimited. Trust me when I tell you that. All of the mass comm, journalism, digital media, all of the graduates and undergraduates out there who are still trying to figure out what that next step in their career looks like, focus on mastering the beauty of the English language and storytelling and trust. Trust you'll be able to find a job. Yes. like People really got to tap in there, especially writing skills. And I think it's interesting because you, you're so you're so young and you you're writing speeches for like political, like elected officials. So like imposter syndrome. Right. So oftentimes when we're in spaces. Right. And we're young and we're doing our thing. Sometimes you got the older folks in the building that's looking like they don't need to be here. They didn't pay their dues. And sometimes you start it out yourself. And then in, in the in the political world and in the communications world, it's like it's such like like a political place because you gotta play the game. You gotta know folks are trying to play you. You gotta know who's your friend, who's your enemy, who's trying to get close to you because they're trying to get what you have. Like, so that can really wear on you mentally. So how have you been able to navigate that and stay in good mental health and and and, and fight off imposter syndrome? You know, imposter syndrome was something that hit me hard at the beginning of my career because I remember walking into one of those offices and sitting down with one of my colleagues. I had written a press release and I remember him saying to me, this press release is good, but I'm going to show you how to write it like you went to a real journalism school. 
And I was so offended by that. Like that stayed with me for years. And, you know, I think that what it did to me outside of just offending me, it put me on high alert. Like, is my work not good enough? Did I not learn enough? Is this skill set not sharp enough? Everything that I'd done leading up to that had gotten me to the same exact place where this person is. And relatively speaking, respectfully, we had a very similar salary. Right. And so it's just the words that people say to you, the feelings that you get when you're in places where people don't understand you or people may not be used to someone like you that start to, you know, make you question yourself or maybe feel a little uncomfortable. But for me, I would say surround yourself with a very strong support group, people who love you and who champion you and who will celebrate you no matter how big or how small the win is. And most importantly, always remember that you're good enough to occupy the spaces that you're in. I don't care if you are in the C-suite. I don't care if you are in the janitor's office. You are capable. You are able. able, And as long as you have the mentality that you're going to win and that you're going to put in the work, it's nothing that you can't do. And, and having that mentality is really what cured me. See, now you done said a word now because like that was so eloquent what you just said. Because for me, if that was me, and especially if it's nowadays with Texas sub, I, w- I would have been like, oh, I didn't go to a real journalism school. Did your school host a Democratic debate? Oh, I thought so. Okay. <laughs> because in 2019, <laughs> we were there. The, like, what, what, the second one, Vice President Kamala Harris was there. She was a candidate. And then the president was there. I took a picture. What do you want to see? You know, I would have let them know because they're not going to play with HBCUs. Listen, we love that. And you're repping in such a big way. And we got to transition into the big brother portion of this because it's such an amazing journey from you being at Texas Southern, you being student media on campus, then getting into that political room where you're doing so many things politically then you're on big brother and i saw a clip of you you were running in heels and i'm like olympics okay i'm like listen you and shakari all right go ahead and get the gold medals so you were making it happen so tell us about your time on big brother really how you got there oh my god i have been a huge fan of big brother for years i had the opportunity to be casted on the iconic 25th season of big brother and you know uh up until 2021 22 and season 23 and 24 that was the first time in the history of this game that's been on for more than 20 years that a person of color won first it was xavier prather in season 23 and then it was taylor hill in season 24 and it was after taylor's historic win as the first black woman woman in the history of the franchise to hold the title of big brother winner and walk away with that $750,000. And she was America's favorite player. It was about a week or so after watching that, I was just like, you know what? I, I think I could play this game and I think that I could be good at it. Like I'm really smart. I'm super competitive. I could be a little conniving and a little shady. You know, I could, I think I'll be all right with it. So, you know, I went ahead and sent in my audition tape and I got a call back and they told me I was going to be on season 25 and I jumped at the opportunity and hands down the most thrilling, exciting, terrifying, nerve wracking thing that I've done in my whole entire life. But I did have a time though. I had a time for sure. So I was reading an article about your experience on Big Brother, right? And you talked about the transition from being on that TV show to then like going to the grocery store and then like, it's not already there for you. Then the the part that really got me because I've interviewed other folks that's been on reality TV and and, and it mystified me 
about how there's cameras all around the house and you said you looking up and you at you at home you like they watching me you know what i'm saying like now granted they might be okay they might be but still are uh, you like yo these folks watching me can i be real right now so tell me about that transition from being on the show to then going back to quote unquote regular life so when the the premise of the show big brother is that it is a show where they put about 15 16 house guests from all corners of the country in one house, we are under 24 hour surveillance. There are about a hundred cameras, a hundred microphones that are outfitted throughout the house. And it literally records our every move. It's a game of strategy and it's a game of, uh, you know, uh, social competency, but it's also a competition game. We all go out and compete in these competitions, but Honestly, when you're there, I'm, I was there for uh, 65 days, nine weeks in total. It was a hundred day season. When you are in there, you only get about two, maybe three days in the backyard. Outside of that, you are literally locked inside of the house with these house guests. You cannot go outside. You can't leave. You can't take a break or take a breather. There are big stadium lights. There are microphones and cameras everywhere. And so it starts to put you in this space where you're like, Okay, you have to be mindful and cognizant of what you're saying and what you're doing at all times. But also, you're just living. Like, there are cameras and all of these things, but I'm also just living here. Like, it's hard to fake who you are for 65 days. And so when you come out of that and you're going to the grocery store, I'm not just, you know, Mimi from around the way now. I'm Mimi that was on Big Brother. So I'm grabbing tomatoes and people are like, Mimi, girl, that's you. And I'm like, I'm looking around. Is it cameras in here? Can I say, leave me the hell alone? Is that going to right? Like, like, it's an adjustment for sure. It's it's definitely an adjustment. Wow. So, like, how was it? Because, like, I remember I, I spoke to a person that was on College Hill Virgin Islands. And really all of them talked about that camera aspect, how that was sort of hard to navigate around. But even you just talking about how only two to three days you can go outside to the backyard. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm claustrophobic, but I probably would have figured out if I was on Big Brother. Like, how, how is it like being locked in like that? Is it, was it bad? Like, did you like that? I didn't get anxious or like, you know, it didn't really mess with like my nervous system. I think you kind of get used to it. I'm not going to lie. For the first two weeks, I couldn't really sleep because the lights are super bright and you need a quorum in the room in order to be like, you know, lights out. And so it was a little weird trying to go to sleep with the super bright lights. And then people are up at all times of the night. Not everybody is on the same sleep schedule. But I think the most nerve wracking part of the game is the deceit, right? Like only one person can win the $750,000, but Big Brother is also not a game that you can play by yourself. Like you cannot move forward alone. You have to trust people. You have to build alliances. You have to scheme and plot and, and, and be deceitful. And so, you know, for me, I think I'm just a super loyal person. I'm an only child. I'm a, I'm a go-getter. I depend on myself for a lot of things. It was really hard for me to trust other people and to really depend on them. And I think honestly, that was a lot of my downfall in the game is not being able to trust people. So the conditions of, you know, being locked in the house or having the microphones or being under the super bright lights, that didn't really impact me in the way that the social aspect did. So I think that's interesting because when you look at politics, right? 
when you say politics, a lot of folks are like, oh, they hate the word politics. And, and because of that, the field of politics, there's a general distrust because they say, oh, this politician says they'll do something, but they do something else. It's a way that you maneuver in political places because politics isn't just legislation. Politics is at Texas Southern. Politics is on Big Brother. It's the way that you go about your life. So you work in the actual field of politics. So I would assume that you had sort of the upper hand in knowing how to go about things, knowing how to finesse your way through this show. So like, did your political background and your political skills help you? Yes and no, because I didn't go onto the show telling anybody that I worked in politics. And that's not abnormal. Like people go on the show, they lie about their occupations, they lie about their ages. It's not abnormal. So I went on the show saying that I was a teacher. My fear in saying that I worked in politics was that people would see me as a strategic threat. And so what happens when I go into the house is that there are these big, loud voices and, and personalities who want to lead on the strategic side. Oftentimes, when people are looking for the snake and looking to chop it down, they start with the head, they end with the tail, and then the, the belly of the beast is still there ready to kind of slither their way through the rest of the game. And I think that was my strategy very early on. But what I realized is that the people that I have been working with weren't really as loyal to me as I was to them. So I find myself in this very peculiar position where I don't really have any allies in the way that I think I have them. And it had nothing to do with my ability to maneuver politically and not, but it had everything to do with, uh, you know, people feeling comfortable around you or people feeling like you're somebody that they can trust. And I think people trusted me and felt comfortable around me. They just didn't know what my game moves were going to be. I played my cards very close to my chest. I didn't run around the house spilling all of my tea. And that made people pretty nervous. And, you know, when you do relatively well in the competitions, they start looking at you like, OK, maybe we need to get this person out. So, you know, I think that's kind of what happened. <laughs> sounds like life to me. Like, oh, they're doing too well. T time to get up out of here. Like, that sounds like life. So. Let me ask you this, right? So for the folks that didn't watch Big Brother, I want you to tell the folks how it went for you. Like, what was the ultimate verdict for you being on the show? Uh, the ultimate verdict is I placed 10th overall. There were 17 house guests. I placed 10th overall. I became, uh, I made history, if you will, as the first house guest uh, to be pre-jury and last in the house for 65 days. So I was there for nine weeks in total. And I think overall, I think the biggest takeaway for me this season is that, uh, you know, I am loyal to my word. I am loyal to the people that I trust. Uh, I'm someone that people can combine in. I'm someone that people can get along with well. And ultimately, I was the type of player that came in there and that was not willing to sacrifice who I was just to get forward. And I know some people say this is a game of $750,000. If there's any time to sacrifice any parts of who you are with $750,000 is on the line, that's when you should be willing to do that. Well, for me, not so much. There's no amount of money that can be put in the way of me doing what I feel is right or standing my ground. And that's what I feel like I do with the game. So, you know, how people perceive that to be is how people perceive that to be. But I can walk away with my head held hot because I feel like I did it the way that I wanted to do it. So this reminds me of my interview with Vanessa from College of Virgin Islands. That was one of my favorite interviews I've ever done. And I asked her this and it was such a nuanced discussion that we had during that interview. I asked her, did she like her perception of how she was perceived on the show and she said she didn't and she got into a very nuanced way as to why she wasn't and even talked about how folks regarded her even after the show because she was branded and seen as the villain so for you on the show do you believe that you were perceived in the right fashion 
I think that overall I was perceived in a way that allowed people to see very few parts of me and not all of the parts of me, right? These times where I do have these, you know, very strong moments of intuition where I'm trying to tell the people who I'm aligned with what I think is the right and wrong move, right or wrong move. You know, a lot of those things aren't shown, but, you know, you do see me having these very funny moments and these very, you know, uh, interesting moments where I'm irritated with the rest of the house guests and I'm kind of annoyed by some of the silly things that they do. And it comes across as funny. So I don't mind that because quite frankly, in those moments, I did used to be irritated. I did used to be annoyed a little bit. So if it comes across that way, I want people to know and see how real this is. And I think the biggest um, misconception that people may have is around me and my hair. I think that was one of the most interesting things for me when I came out of the house, because you're there for what would be a hundred days, 65 days in my case, and you don't have access to the outside world. I don't have my phone at all. So as soon as I get my phone, the first thing that I see is people saying that, Oh, Mimi spent so much time doing her hair. Why is she always playing in her hair? Why is she always doing her hair? Mimi's always in the bathroom doing her hair. And I'm like, unless you're a black woman, a woman of color uh, with natural unprocessed hair, you do not understand the plight of women of color and what it is that we go through with our hair. We are always heavily scrutinized and heavily uh, you know, critiqued by, you know, what is happening with our beauty routines and the standards of beauty that people place on black women. So when I came out of the house and I saw these conversations happening, it was very disappointing to me because I have so many other fun and amazing moments that happen on the show, but people want to lean into talking about my hair because they don't understand why it takes me more than an hour to do it. But they also are not a woman of color who has natural unprocessed hair. So, you know, and they clearly don't know how to serve looks. Like, what the world? Like, like what the world is going on? Because, like, listen, one thing black women going to do is, like, well, after that hour is up, I'm telling you, listen, Emmy carpet, all right? Red carpet ready. And not to do my own heart, but I did serve a lot of looks this season. Not to do my own heart, but she was serving a lot of looks this season. Hey, listen, that's what black women do. And then the thing about it is they got to understand that the HBCU side of it plays a big part because homecoming is a different ball game. Like, talk, tell them about that. Tell them about that now. Homecoming is where you get fresh. You know, one of the things that I love about being in a house with such a diverse group of individuals, we had house guests that were over the age of 65. We had the first Punjabi Sikh men to play this season. We had a hard of hearing player. We have Asian American players, um, uh, Mexican and Hispanic. America, Hispanic American players, African American players who were playing this season. And one of the things that I love was getting to talk to them about all of the things that they may not have been exposed to yet. Talking to them about Texas Southern University. I wore a TSU hoodie um, in the house throughout the season. I had so many house guests ask me, what is TSU? What is an HBCU? Being able to educate them on the history of historically black colleges and universities, uh, the experience of students at HBCUs, the experience of homecoming at HBCUs and the importance and significance of that. Those were some of my favorite moments and favorite times in the house because I get to I get to educate this very diverse group of people on the things that happened in my world that are very normal to me, but new to them. And I love that. I loved it so much. Wow. I mean, I think that's amazing. So let me ask you this. Like, are you cool with folks that you were on the show with? Are they coming to homecoming in, in the fall? Like, what's going on? think they coming to homecoming i don't know if they're ready to come to homecoming yet we they learned a little bit but i don't know if they're ready to step out on the yard 
But I do not have any issues with anybody on the cast. What I will say is that when you're playing for $750,000 and only one person can win, you don't say nice things all the time. Like, again, sometimes you're irritated. Sometimes you're agitated. Sometimes you don't like people. And I think that is as to be expected. But for me, coming to play the game of Big Brother was a once in a lifetime experience. I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. And it does not serve me outside of the house to be mad or to be upset at any of these people for anything that happened in the game. I lied to them. They lied to me. They voted me out. I voted them out. They, you know, told me the truth. I told them a lie. It just kind of is what it is. So I'm not upset at any of the house guests and I wish everybody well. I love that. I love the positivity and say, Hey, I wish them well. And we're moving on. We're moving forward. And I think that that's an interesting next step of this conversation is about what's next for you. Because one thing that when you look at black folks that were on reality TV shows like college is what I go back to because we I interviewed uh, several members of, you know, those seasons like that before social media, like there wasn't that influencer step there. That wasn't, hey, I'm be on this next show. I'm going to do pageantry. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to open my own consulting firm on, on be, like, being an image consultant. Like there wasn't those lanes. So after that immense fame that they had where there was no other modes of media, it was just, hey, this is BET. It's millions of folks watching me. I have this fame. They, they don't go anywhere after that. But now you all being on reality TV, there's other lanes. There might be spinoffs. There might be things that are going on. So what is next for you in, in this generation of reality TV where now you can spin off that fame into other things? Absolutely. I think that I am most excited to just really be leaning, leaning into this new platform and this new audience that I have, not only just sharing all of the things about me that they can get excited about, but also sharing my skill set. I really want to use my experience in politics to continue to educate millennials and Gen Z about all of the things that they should know about politics and how they should use that information to inform their decisions in this upcoming election. So I will be continuing my work in political consulting, but you know, I'm also very interested in working with brands and really just leaning into this career shift. I spent a decade building my career in politics, so it's hard for me to let that go. But I'm also really interested to dive into this new aspect of, you know, media and communications and influencer and see what that looks like for me. You know, us 90 babies, we didn't really, like you said, we didn't have these type of options growing up. So now that these options are on the table and these opportunities are starting to come through the door, I'm excited for a lot of the things that I have in store for 2024. So yeah. I'm excited for you, CD, to tell them that we saw dial up internet. Okay. We saw pagers and we saw iPhones. Okay. Like let them know. If you don't know what an AML chat room is, you might be too young. I'm just saying you might be a little too young. <laughs> like listen, I I I was at I was at the laptop playing Disney Channel, Disney Channel games, and I was on Nectropolis. Like, listen, like, I know the struggle. They need to start playing with me. <laughs> if you didn't play on a Nintendo when you were a kid, you might be too young. I'm just saying, if you've never seen the sloppy disc, you might be too young. I'm just, I don't make the rules. I'm just saying. <laughs> like, that, like, listen, you, you don't brought back a bad memory. Cause I want to be a PlayStation 2 so bad at the GameCube, and I make that GameCube work. It still worked to this day. And I'm telling you, <laughs> I want to play that so bad. I had, I had to get all the game, I had to get all the PlayStation games on GameCube, and it wasn't the same. I was telling them, y'all play on the GameCube. They were like, you don't got a PlayStation? No, I don't. Like, <laughs> like it, was, it was a walk of shame. Yeah, we, we throwing it back. Yeah, shout out to all the 90s babies out there. We are living our best lives and we look 
good. I've heard this discourse on TikTok of like millennials and Gen Z aging too fast. I don't know about y'all, but I think the millennials, we look good. Skin is popping, hair is popping, flourishing. Come on, millennials. I'm telling you, and see, the thing about it is with, with, with the guy that did, that he's talking about, oh, The Rock thought I, I, I was somebody's dad. Well, sir, haircut. He needs a haircut. The beard, the beard gave him 30 years. Yeah, yeah, he looked like he marched for civil rights. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the beard. Like, like yeah, yeah, that man looked like he's seen racism head on. Yeah, he need, he need a shape up. Like, what the world? Let you walk with Jesus. Okay, we, we're going to need you to go ahead and get that shaped up, sir. Yeah, get that shaped up. You'll be okay. Because, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, the, 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 beard, the beard can be popping, but you got to shape it up because the shape up takes off years. He's going to look 26 after that. The, you you got to stay looking fresh. Listen, if I learn nothing from my mother, is that every time you walk out the house, you need to act like you're going somewhere. Act like you're going to see somebody important. And that has always stuff with me look like you're going somewhere and like you have some type of business to handle that way nobody can ever catch you having a bad day so you know exactly that that's a big thing and that's another hbcu thing because folks talk about how oh you guys got to step at hbcu yeah you do because you never know who you gonna see like because texas southern democratic debate vice president kamala harris when she was the candidate she's right there the future president joe biden right come on you gotta step you can't be you can't be in, in, in in sweatpants and a hoodie Right at that moment, come on. That's right. And speaking of College Hill, you know, they're also, uh, BET has brought back the College Hill series and they're doing it at HBCUs. And I know that Texas Southern was one of the colleges that they chose to shoot at. So, you know, you just never know who you're going to see on campus. I think that season had Indian Love and Indian Leaks and Ray J and Big Frida and, you know, so many other personalities that we know and love from the TV and, and media space. So, you know, at HBCU, HBCUs are getting a lot of love these days. I know Spellman just got, I think, a $100 million donation. Howard is always doing amazing things. Texas Southern always doing amazing things. Shout out to Megan The Stallion and so many other alumni who've come from there. Michael Strahan, Yolanda Adams, and so on and so forth. Uh, so, you know, shout out to HBCUs. You guys are in a, a, a prime time to really do some amazing work, put out some amazing content and really get some amazing experiences. I graduated college in 2015 and, you know, HBCUs at that time were still fighting for their place and fighting for their relevancy and fighting for a lot of the support that they're getting now. So, you know, HBCU students used to be proud of the institutions these days and and uh, really work to uphold the legacies of some of the students before you. I love that. Like when you were graduating, I was coming into college at Fort Valley State University. So it's just so crazy, like that dichotomy, because it's like that time before and then my time was so different for a lot of reasons, politically, as you would know what happened in 2016. So it was a lot of things that were very different at that time. And that's one thing we always want to tell, you know, students, especially mass commentators, that you have to build that brand on campus because now you have the, the access, TikTok, you can get podcast equipment. You have all these different avenues and outlets to grow your brand before you step across that stage and off that campus. So that's something I think is very pertinent. But before we go, I want to ask you about this because you're an amazing political mind. Like I still can't get over the fact that you were writing speeches like like like, like for for sitting like like politicians and political leaders, right? So I want you to give us just like your your landscape for 2024. So we know the Iowa caucus as at the time that we're recording this, we know that that's a wrap and we know Ron DeSantis, he gone. All right. So we see Donald Trump as well the front run. You see Nikki Haley on this side and you got President Joe Biden, Vice President Kamala Harris. They didn't raise one hundred fifty million dollars, continuing to raise money 
making things happen. And we're moving really quickly into that decision day. We're moving really quickly into November where we're going to start voting. So as a political consultant, as a political mind, like what are your thoughts on this upcoming election? Yeah, I think that obviously uh, we always look to in a presidential year, the presidential candidates and, and we put a lot of emphasis and focus on that. But I, what I think that a lot of young people should know and should really look forward to this year is getting to know their members of Congress and their U.S. senators and the governors and the mayors who are going to be up for re election this year because Ron DeSantis may have dropped out of the presidential election, but he's going to go back to the state of Florida. He's still going to be the governor of the state of Florida. Right. And so we need to start looking at some of the individuals who are up for reelection this year, some of the incumbents who will be uh, running for reelection or some of the new folks who are looking to take those seats and figure out what the issues are that matter to you. And how are those candidates making good on the promises to the folks that they're looking to represent within those communities? Yes, because the presidential election is always of the utmost importance, but it's the member of Congress and the U.S. senators and the governors who are going to decide what's happening in your state. The heartbeat bill that you see in the state of Georgia was not being uh, was not being enacted by the federal government. That is the Georgia state bill that was put into place that essentially uh, will um, block a woman or prohibit her from getting an abortion after a certain amount of weeks once the baby's heartbeat has been recognized, right? So a lot of times it's what's happening at the state level that needs to have change enacted and the young people are going to make a difference in this election. Don't let anybody tell you differently. Minorities and young people are going to determine the outcome of the presidential election and all of the U.S. House of Representatives and Senate seats that are up for re-election this year. So every young person in this country needs to get smart on the issues that they care about and look around at their local communities and say, what are the local elected officials doing for me currently? And how do I think that they can improve that? And who's willing to make good on those promises? Listen, that was necessary because we need our folks to know what's going on and make those informed decisions and understand that their vote matters, like their voice matters and an understanding of the issues helps them in making an informed choice. And we can make change if we vote with and like, be informed in, in, in our vote. So I think that's really key. And I vote for you to be the next host of NBC Meet the Press. Okay. Like, like, listen, like we go, we're going to start another show at this point because you need to be up there talking to the folks. All right. You need to be up there. Listen, we, we are manifesting that for 2024, 2025. Okay. Call me CNN. I'm, I'm still interested. Call me. <laughs> listen, that CNN, they're they, they going to need some space because some of them shows, they're going to make it to 2025. Right. So they need some space. <laughs> they, let, hey, look. They they grab some money and time for you. I'm telling you that much. All right. But listen, Mimi, it was amazing speaking to you. And before you go, let us know where we can find you on social media and how we can support everything that you're doing. Absolutely. I have so many amazing things in store for 2024. I don't want to spoil them, but yeah, so y'all have to follow me on social media. You can find me on Instagram at Mimi underscore Hayes. That's M-E-M-E underscore Hayes. I'm also on Twitter and TikTok at Mimi.Hayes, H-A-Y-E-S. So follow me on social media. Keep up with all of the things that I'm doing. In, slide in my DM, say hey, ask me what I have coming out, ask me anything. I'm always open to chat uh, and just engage with the fans. So uh, I look forward to meeting and chatting with you all. And thank you for having me today. It's been such a pleasure to just have this conversation. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> Most definitely. McCall Mimi Hayes, making things happen. Big brother, political consultant, doing so many amazing things. Proud of you, Mimi. Appreciate you for coming on. You're listening to HBCU Post Radio. Like what you hear? Uh. 
Yeah. Subscribe to HBCU Pulse Radio on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, head to HBCUPulse.com to stay up to date on what's going on in the HBCU community. Thank Thank you you for for listening listening to HBCU HBCU Pulse Pulse Radio. Radio.